We're going to get started. Hopefully you're doing well today. Hopefully you're excited to be here and hear from the Lord this morning. As you're, as you're grabbing your seat, uh, I want to give you my you know, one personal final plug for, for Certainty Conference. So I do hope you make it a priority. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of people from out of town here, and so that's exciting. And so we want you here as well. Uh, we need you here as well. I think um, you, you won't regret it. And so, you know, as Josh said, we have the evening sessions in here, 6.30 every night, dinner Monday through Wednesday at 5.30, and then the morning sessions are 9 to noon over at the Next Gen Center for anyone that's available. So and if you are available in those mornings, you're welcome. Please come. Um, it's, it's, we're looking forward to this week and, and all that it is. It's an important week in the life of our church. It's an important week in the life of our Living Faith Fellowship as it's one of the annual conferences, one of the main conferences for the year. And so um, uh, we're, we're, we're getting all geared up for that this week. So hopefully you are too. Hopefully you've been praying. We'll continue to pray this week and then hopefully you'll be here starting next Sunday. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing on in this short series we've, we've carved out here in this month. Uh, that I've titled Issues Facing the Church and dealing with the various wars we're, we're facing on, on multiple fronts as the church and, and individually as believers in Jesus Christ. And we kicked off the series by talking about the war going on in our lives and, and in the church over our worldview, how the lens through which we view the world and, and whether we view our life and view the world and make our decisions regarding our life using man's wisdom or God's wisdom, whether we're going to do it man's way or God's way, and again, just how we're going to see it and how we're going to move forward accordingly. And that's such a struggle for, for all of us because of what we talked about last week, and that is our culture. Because every day our culture is trying to pull us away from the authority of God's word towards, you know, some dangerous middle ground of compromise in, in your life, whatever that might look like. And our enemy, he doesn't even need us to come all the way over to his side on, on these you know, hot-button topics of the day. What he's wanting us to do is just move off the Bible. Because once he gets us to move off the Bible, even just a little bit, then the slide away from that source of objective truth, the only source of objective truth in, in this world, and that lens through which we view the world, once we move away from that, that slide just continues to get easier and easier. And we run the risk of ending up in a place where, you know, at one time we maybe never would have even dreamed of being. And that's because that old serpent is subtle. We looked at him last week in Genesis chapter 3. And so we have to stay on guard and trust in and obey the Bible and double down on its authority in our life. And this principle is... is maybe most importantly applied in our homes and within our families, which is our topic this morning, because we're going to be talking about the family war. And, and this is one that, man, it's not, it's not easy to talk about. It's not easy to address. I, I know many people in this church are, are fighting it actively uh, right now, and, and um, you know, it, 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 it's a burden to, to all of us. And and it's a hard thing, and you know, I think most of you in here are certainly aware of this, but, but just in case it somehow slipped through the cracks, you need to know that there's a very, very serious spiritual war going on for our families today, because Satan hates them. 
And he's always attacking the foundation. We talked about that some last week as we referenced Psalm 11.3. I want to start off with that this morning. That, that verse says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And you see, Satan wants us faced with that question all the time. He wants to, to tear away at the foundation of God's word, first and foremost, and how that applies into the various areas of our life, how we view the world, how we view our home, how we view all that. Because he wants us faced with that. If the foundation's destroyed, what are you, you going to do? What can you do about that? And the foundation of any society involves the three institutions that God has established and ordained. That's the government, the church, and the family or the home. We know that Satan has control of the governments. The, the government of this world is under his authority. He's the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. And Satan told Jesus he had control of the worldly governments when he tempted Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 of that chapter says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Satan couldn't have given them to him if he didn't have control over them. God has allowed Satan to have a certain level of control in this world today, again, as he is the God of this world. He has the government as part of that. We know personally, firsthand, that Satan is always actively attacking the church. So he has control of the government. He doesn't have control of the church. Jesus has that, but he actively attacks it through carnality, through just the various cracks in that foundation, through just the disruption of unity, ultimately through culture, as we talked about last week, because the culture war is an attack on the authority of God's word. So in that vein, Satan doesn't so much care if we hold church services as long as we don't preach and believe this book. He knows that religion has sent more people to hell than anything else this world has offered. So he's good with, you know, the church as long as that church doesn't have and proclaim the truth of God's word. And then those that do, he goes and he tries to attack in those other ways. But the third institution is family. And our enemy is using culture to not only infiltrate the church, but also infiltrate our homes. And he's attacking both parents and children alike. He's attacking marriages. He's attacking on every front he can within the home in different ways, but everyone is being attacked. And there are so many temptations we face in this world, so many things pulling for our time for our attention, for our finances, you name it. And in today's world, in today's culture, it's all so easy to access anything you want, any temptation you want. Everything that this world and our culture has to offer is at the tip of our fingertips. And a little device known as a cell phone, which, by the way, is being handed out to younger and younger children every day. And sometimes for valid reasons, I understand it, I have kids and I understand all that, but it's still a tool that the devil uses and so we need not to be ignorant of his devices. And when we talk about family, that really is the foundation of the foundation. 
If the three institutions of government, the church, and the family make up the foundation of any society, well, the foundation of that foundation is the family. It's, it's the home. That's why God created and ordained it first. You see, in the wisdom of God, the first institution established wasn't the church. It wasn't human government. It was the home. I put that there on your outline sheet. That's the first institution. He, he instituted that in the garden. And Satan knows that if he can tear apart that foundation, then everything else will soon crumble, including the church. As a church, we are made up of families. And the strength of those families is a direct reflection of the strength of our church. So we need to be willing and able and ready to fight this war because, hear me, Satan is coming. Or he's already there. And so we can't sit this one out. But we need to know how to fight. And we'll never be able to fight this war successfully if we don't understand the priorities of the home. We need to understand the priorities of the home. You see, since God established and ordained the family, as he did all the other things, he actually gets to define it himself. And he gets to give it purpose which inherently establishes the priorities of the family and the home. You see, this is where we get things wrong many times. Because we will lose this battle before we even begin to fight because we think we get to set the priorities of the family. I mean, it's my family after all. So in my family, I get to establish what it is that we are going to prioritize and how we are going to go about life. But the truth is, the priorities have already been set by the Lord. It is our job as managers of the family to obey what God has already established. And you're going to find the principles of family priorities throughout the Bible, but there are a couple primary passages, key passages of note. The first being Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now that one is is for Israel and doesn't fully apply to us doctrinally, but there are still many great family and parenting principles to learn in that chapter. But there's an equivalent passage in the New Testament that does apply to us doctrinally, and it's Ephesians chapter 5 and into the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I'm going to study this out um, this morning. And, and it's, it's too much. It's a large passage, and so we're going to be hitting it at a, at a very, you know, surface level, but, but, it, but we'll be able to drill down into the point we need to, to see the priorities that God has established and, 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 and where he's established them and how he's established them. So I want to look at this passage, see what God has to teach us. And we're going to pick it up all the way back in verse 17. Right? It's going to take us a couple verses to get into the, the, the family aspect. But, we're going to, but we have to see this starting in verse 17. Uh, the, there the Bible says, Wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle as any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And then we're going to pick it up. That's the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So let's pray. Let's invite the Lord uh, into our hearts and minds uh, this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you um, today in need of you. We, so we certainly need to hear you on this topic, and, and, and one of, of certainly of particular importance, and one that I know... Um, you know, certainly in a, a church this large, a, a, a amount of people that we have in here this morning, we have, you know, many people dealing and struggling with this at some, at some level. And so, Lord, I pray for all of them. I, I pray that, that you'll use your word to, to touch their heart this morning and, and, and show them the truth um, of your word and, and, and the truth that they need for their life. And and Lord, I pray that, that you just work in, 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 in and through every one of us, in, in our families, uh, for your own glory. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that, that you do the work that you can only do this morning and move me out of the way and speak uh, clearly and, and authoritatively um, um, through your Holy Spirit this morning. And so I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that you're honored and glorified through all of it. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, there's no doubt that that this, what we just read, is the definitive passage on family dynamics, structure, and, and most importantly, family priorities for the church and for believers in Christ today. So I want to dive into those priorities that we see in this passage because they give us the means to winning this war raging against the family and in our homes. And, and let me just say here, you know, from the beginning, this is always going to be a fight. You know, Satan won't give up on this front. He'll keep fighting, even if you experience some level of success for a certain amount of time. And it's the hardest fight of your life in many ways. If you're, if you're a parent, you know that there's no pain like seeing your child suffer, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And then there's, there's no one that can hurt you more than the people that are closest to you. There's no one that can hurt you more than a spouse. And Satan knows all of this very, very well. And so he keeps coming. And so don't think that success today automatically equates to success tomorrow. But if you establish the priorities that, that we're going to pull out of this passage this morning, I will just say that the Word of God works. And we can trust in that. And it all starts with the first priority, which is the priority of filling the priority of filling. You see, the entire context of Paul's discussion of the family begins by focusing on God's will for us to live our lives through the consistent filling of the Holy Spirit. Look back at verse 17. This sets the context 
for everything we're looking at. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We, we need to understand what God's will for our life is. What is it? It's be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And this is so basic and yet so key to everything we do as believers, especially in the home. If you want your family to succeed in the war that the devil is raging against it, then you need to begin by simply living a spirit-filled life, by walking in the spirit. And it doesn't matter if your spouse isn't doing that. You need to do it for yourself and for the rest of the family. And it doesn't matter if your parents aren't doing that. You need to do it for yourself and for the rest of the family. The call is for you to do it. In fact, the most important place for you to walk in the Spirit of God is in your home. It's absolutely no coincidence that this is where Paul starts, where he begins as he lays out the definitive structure for the home and the family. And that's true for a lot of reasons, but we have to understand how important we are to each other as a family. I've already mentioned the strength of this church is, is directly and proportionally tied to the strength of the families contained within this church. So the bottom line is your home is the most important responsibility God has given you. So you, you need to walk in the Spirit there the most. So please listen to me. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for your marriage. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. And do it truly, because there's no faking this. Because the home is the place where we are truly ourselves. I can fool you on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and you can fool me. But we can't fool our families, at least not for very long. They can know who we really are. They know what is important to us. So therefore, whether they know it or not, they know if we are spirit-filled or not. And parents, your children, they learn from you. They will learn to walk in the spirit or they will learn to walk in the flesh. It's that important. So do what Paul tells us to do in Galatians 5.16. This I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And listen, the consistent and continual filling of God's spirit that leads to walking in the Spirit of God is the only way to foolproof your marriage and your family. It's the only way. That's it. It's the only way to foolproof your marriage and your family. Try all the other tactics that you want. But at the end of the day, everything else is kind of just a gimmick. Now, some of the gimmicks are better than others. But if it's not the truth of God's word, then it is something inferior, and it is a gimmick. And when you try the gimmicks apart from God's word, there is nothing sustainable in that. Now, if you try the gimmicks in conjunction with God's word, okay, good. There's some good practical tips and tools 
to, to apply in a marriage. But it has to be done in conjunction with God's word. It can't be done apart from it. It can't be done as your main, you know, your main goal or, or your main uh, purpose or your, your main way you go about it. So let me give you an example. And in the process, make everybody mad. And hit on the Christian sacred cow of love languages. So you know the book, right? The five love languages, right? And it's, it's, it's how you give love. And so we need to learn how our spouse gives love because that's typically how you receive love and, you know, and, and understanding all that. And there's five of them, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and receiving of gifts. Listen, I, I've read the book. I'll even recommend the book. It's not that there's anything wrong with the book per se. There's some good practical tips in there. But the, that book is not the Bible. And in fact, like if you read the book, there's actually not that much Bible contained within the book. Now, to be fair, it does include some good practical tools. And the Bible at least tells us husbands to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. It's 1 Peter 3, 7, after talking to the wives, Peter says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife is under the weaker vessel and is being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So we need to know our wives. And I would even concede that that includes knowing how they give and receive love. That's fine. But if you place figuring out and then living your married life according to a love language as a higher priority than walking in the Spirit, then you're not doing it God's way. What you're doing is using man's wisdom to try to make your marriage work. See, Ephesians 5.17 starts by saying, let's, let's, let's not be unwise. Be not unwise. And being unwise is applying the world's wisdom in place of God's wisdom in your life and in your family. Here's what, here's what Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he that taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The world's wisdom is actually unwise. It is foolishness with God. So find out your spouse's love language. Fine. I don't care. It's a good thing to do. But if you just walk in the Spirit, and in doing so you fulfill God's will, then guess what? You're going to find that most of those other things seem to just take care of themselves. And work themselves out if you're just walking in the Spirit of God. You know, another example I hear all the time to keep marriages alive is have a regular date night. And again, go for it. That is a good thing. That's a good thing. You should do that. You should spend time together. But as far as foolproofing your marriage, can you give me a book, chapter, verse? It says a regular date night's going to do it. Because I can give you one that says walking in the Spirit will. Ephesians 5.18. See, what happens very subtly is that we try, we try to bypass the Bible because we want to do things our own way, which is an easier way. Having a regular date night is easier than walking in the Spirit. That's an easier thing to do. And I'll admit to you, God's way is not the easiest way but it's the right way, and it works. And God's way is found in the pages of this book. And living what this book says is the only way you can walk in the Spirit. 
So this priority is based on, I put this in your outline sheet, this priority is based on having a daily relationship with the Word of God. This is Biblical Christianity 101. But listen, it's not just in exercise, not just in duty, but in saturation, in, in desire for transformation. I'm telling you, it's the only way. We've showed you this hundreds of times. I, I show you this every so often, this verse, the, the cross-reference Colossians 3.16 that we're going to next. But listen, I think I could show it to you every Sunday and it probably wouldn't be enough. Because Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see the comparison between this verse, Colossians 3.16, and our passage in Ephesians chapter 5. So the Bible defines itself. Walking in the Spirit is letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that because we say it all the time. Because as you come to God's Word in honesty, with a desire for change, then it saturates your mind and it cleanses you and your desire for selfishness decreases and your desire to glorify the Lord, that even through your family relationships, that increases. And this definition gives us the depth of the true meaning here because letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is not just learning for head knowledge. Right? That's not how you gain victory in, in okay, I, I'm fighting a family war or I'm fighting whatever war. It's like, okay, I have, to, I have to go learn a bunch of facts about this particular issue. Well, that's part of it, but that is not all of it. It's not just learning from head knowledge. Being you know, the smartest guy about a certain topic, that doesn't guarantee anything. You, you gain victory by allowing God's word to transform you into the image of Christ. To dwell in, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that means that it, it inhabits you abundantly. Because the goal of spending time with God through his word is to grasp the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. To get to know him on an intimate level. Who he really is and to build a relationship with him that changes your life. It's not just about the knowledge itself. Because the knowledge itself can puff up. So that knowledge needs a foundation so that you can do something with it. And it actually changes the way you live. That's why knowledge always comes after things like virtue and grace in the Bible. If you've been in MTT, you've, you know, we have our, our, our class on 2 Peter chapter 1 and that process. And, and so you know this. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. So you understand the importance of virtue before knowledge. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you've got to notice the order of those things. Knowledge is always second because knowledge alone will not keep you from ruining your family. Having knowledge alone does not mean you're going to walk in the Spirit and give your kids a proper example to follow. But the consistent application of that knowledge will. Knowledge based off of virtue and grace will, because then it leads to everything you see in Ephesians 19, Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21. To speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, the, the giving of thanks for all things. Not, not, not just in all things, by the way, for all things. 
unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And, and these, what you see in verses 19 through 21, are the evidences of the filling of the Spirit in your life. And we're not going to take the time to break them down, but let me just summarize them like this. I think I put it on your outline sheet. Verse 19, the evidence is inward joy. Verse 20, the evidence is upward thankfulness. And in verse 21, it's outward submission to each other in a family. Verse 21 is actually the bridge that connects the context of this passage to the family. It's the mutual submission for the furtherance of God's glory. You're, you're no longer living only for yourself. And when everyone in the family is doing that, and then the walking in the Spirit, you're going to see that that, that comes more naturally. You're mutually submitted to what God wants in any given situation. So does that describe your family life and those characteristics? And, and this isn't something that happens overnight. This is much more than a, a, a process or a program. It needs to be a pursuit. And, and the great thing is that God's always pursuing us, and this is an opportunity for us to pursue him back. So let me ask you, is your family in need of change? Do you want your and need your family dynamics to look different than they do today? Then pursue the Lord through his word daily so that you can be filled with the Spirit. But you have to do it in honesty, desiring real change, not as a genie in the bottle, not as just something, okay, well, if I, if I do this, then I'm going to... No. You do it coming to the Lord open and honest and just seeking his will and trusting him in the process. Otherwise, you're just going to keep doing the same dumb things you've always done, losing this family war. So understand the priority of filling. And the second, the second way to foolproof your family from the priorities that God said is understand the priority of focus. So the priority of filling, you start with God's word, you start with walking in the spirit, applying that to your life, particularly in your family context, and then you get to see some practical. Practically, you can, here's how you can do it. This is where you focus, because what Paul does next, starting in verse 22 of chapter 5, moving all the way down through verse 4 of chapter 6, is he talks to the wives, then the husbands, then the children's, the children, and then the parents, not the children's. I'll, Oh, the children. Uh, the children and then the parents. Specifically the fathers, but it applies to both. And he talks to all of them with respect to their individual roles within the family. And, I'm gonna, and we're not going to go back and take time to read this, and we're going to move through this very quickly. Again, we're, we're hitting things on a surface level. I'm just going to attack the things that, that I need to here. But, but very quickly, the wife's role is summarized by submission. The husband's role is summarized by love. The, the children's role is summarized by obedience, and the parents' role is summarized by training or, or discipleship. We'll talk about that a little bit. So we have submission. We have sacrifice, because that's what biblical love is. We have surrender, because that's what you have to do to obey. And we have to strengthen, to train and to disciple. And all of those, whether it's submission is your main focus, whether sacrifice, whether surrender, whether strengthening, whatever your main focus is, all of those require death to self. Every single one of them. Even the strengthening of your children. Because you cannot do that well in your flesh. 
So, so this priority, this priority of focus, is based in humility. It's based in humility. This is how we need to attack the, the different roles we have within our family. Because the truth is, and listen, you all know this. We all, every single one of us know this. What I just described, what, however it applies to you, none of that's easy. It's not easy. Because dying to yourself isn't easy. And it's not supposed to be. So, so let me help you and tell you where you need to prioritize your focus. Because you need to focus on your role and doing that to God's glory. And that's it. Because God deserves it. Even if the other people in your family don't. God does. So kids, we have some, we have some children in here. You may not feel like children, but according to the Bible, you're, you're children, you're, you, know, you, you have parents, you're living in your parents' house. To, to the kids in here, you have one role that God outlines here. That's to obey your parents and the Lord. And so you're to do that to the best of your ability. Pray about God helping you with that because it's the right thing to do. That's what Ephesians 1, 6 says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And the Bible even defines that for you as something that pleases him. Listen, you have the ability to make the Lord happy simply by obeying your parents in the Lord, even when you don't want to, or especially when you don't want to. Colossians 3.20, again, the, the, the parallel passage, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So focus on your role. Then we have husbands and wives, and, and if you don't have kids, you only have one role. And so you do your role without focusing on your spouse's role. You see, that's where, where trouble comes in. When we're focused on what the other person is doing wrong or what we're not getting from them, that, that's the world's way of thinking. But listen, I, I, I promise you, they, they are doing stuff wrong for sure, but you are too. No one in this scenario is perfect. So focus on you by looking on them. Think more highly of them than you do yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And this is true of all relationships. We all have the things that are important to us, that mean something to us, that, that we, you know, we have our love language. <laughs> you know, whatever it might be, we have something. And, or, or some things. And, and our natural response is when we don't receive those things is, is you know, to not love it. And to, not be, to be upset about it, to be offended by it, whatever it might be. And, so, and, and that, listen, me, I'm the most guilty probably in this room of this. But what the Bible tells us is, is the way we combat that is to look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. And to see this situation from another perspective. Look on them to see how you can sacrifice and faithfully love or submit whatever it is that applies. And this goes against everything in our being. Because as, as humans, we want justice most of the time. And even though I, I promise you, you don't actually want justice because if, if you wanted justice, 
Justice is hell for every single person in this room, starting with the dude talking. That's justice. But we don't, but, but in our human way of thinking, we want justice and we want things to work out the way that we see them in our perspective. And, and we have our own view of what's right and wrong. And it's so e- easy to see the problems in our spouse because, because they are there, I promise you. They're there in all of us. But at the same time, we somehow become blind or at least too quick to justify the problems that we have. But focusing on your role shows a family that's under God's authority. Listen, we all bring things into our family. We naturally learn from our parents, both good and bad, and some of you didn't have parents to look up to you. Some of you didn't have two parents in the house. There's a lot of things. We all bring our environment that we grew up in into our family, but, but once you get saved, the Word of God has to trump all that. There's a war going on for your marriage and for your family, and if you want to be victorious, you need to see this God's way. And then it gets even further complicated when you have kids, because you not only have a role as a husband and a wife, you now have a second role as a parent. But listen, the key to this, the key to parenting, it's the same. To still focus on your role. It's, and, and listen, hear what I'm saying and let me explain it, but it's not to focus on what your, ki- what your kids are doing as much as what you are doing. Because if you focus on what you are to do, then in parenting, you're being proactive. But if you just end up focusing on what your kids are doing, you end up being way more reactive. And that's not to say you ignore what your kids are doing. Of course not. I'm talking about where you focus because what you will find is that if you are more proactive, you won't have to be as reactive. And and how are we to be proactive? Well, according to Ephesians 6.4, you are to proactively bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And nurture means education or training by disciplinary correction. It's also, that same word's also translated chastening, chastisement, and instruction. And this is a proof of love. You see it, for example, the same word in, translated a different way in Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He, admo- he, he nurtures. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You see, the Lord loves us enough to tell us the truth and to keep us straight. But that's exactly where so many parents fail in the home. They cover for their kids. And they lie to and about their kids instead of dealing truth to their kids. That's not real love. Love to your children always demonstrates itself with discipline and training. Especially when they're young. It's impossible to love little Johnny too much to spank him. And listen, I know that's a controversial subject, but I say it because the Bible says it. And if you say that spanking doesn't work, you're saying the Bible doesn't work. Because Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. He that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs 22, 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, verses 13 to 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. I shall beat him with a rod, shall deliver his soul from hell. That's a pretty good trade-off. <laughs> Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother's shame. And this is not condoning abuse in any fashion. Abuse is abuse and is wrong. 
and is not correction and chastening. There's a proper biblical way to go about this, but it is what nurture is getting at. So let me describe nurture this way. It's corrective training. Nurture is corrective training. But that's not the only training in your role as a parent. We're also to admonish, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And admonition deals with the calling of attention. Admonition is a warning for the purpose of learning and to promote change. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happen unto them. In the context, if you know 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's talking about Israel in the Old Testament and So Paul kind of gives that very brief history, and he said, All these things happened to Israel in the Old Testament for our ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, for our warning, so that we can learn, so that we don't uh, don't fall and and do the same things that they did, and have the same mistakes, make the same mistakes they made, out of whom all the ends of the world are come. Titus 3.10 says, A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, after the first and second warning, will reject him. You see, admonition doesn't involve corrective action against the other party. It's the warning before the corrective action is taken. And in the context of Ephesians 6 and and parent-child relationships, it means there's only room for one set of parents in the home. And you're it. Like it or not. So instruct your children. Warn them and tell them about the consequences to actions. According to the Bible... Not just your opinion, not even in an angry way, in an honest way. And hopefully the more admonition, the less nurturing will be required. And listen, I get it. Every child is different. I have three of them. And, and some, some a warning's all you need, and they get it. And they submit, and, and they fall in line. And then others, you know, it takes multiple warnings, or it takes a little bit of the corrective action. Okay, you you just have to know your child, and you learn your child, and and you work with your child. But it doesn't change the way you approach it. You still attack your role the same. And and listen, all of our children have free will, just like we do. So, you know, they get to make their own decisions. And you can do the right things. It doesn't mean that they are going to necessarily. You still do what you're supposed to do. You still focus on your role according to what the Bible has to say. And again, hopefully over time, you'll see, you'll see that the more ammunition, the less nurturing will require. But it certainly will take time and there's a transition. Because with younger children, it's the application of pain that trains. As a child gets older, you owe them more of an explanation and instruction. So you can help focus their mind as well as change their heart. That's your goal in this type of parenting. So this aspect of admonishing and forming is really Telling you how you, that transition, showing you how to transition and how you treat the older children. Obviously, you don't treat a 16-year-old the same way you do a 3-year-old. You you shouldn't demand as much. It should be more of setting the expectation, monitoring adherence, and so it becomes a matter of trust. Because if your default position is to never trust your older position and you're always looking over their shoulder, there can be a tendency towards bitterness and we're not to provoke our children to wrath. So you set expectations through, through that admonition and you monitor adherence, but if they break trust, then you deal with the consequences and you continue to work with them and you continue to explain and expect. And there's a time that you build back trust and all of that. And you may be thinking, I don't know, that sounds pretty scary to trust my 16-year-old. I, I, listen, I get it. I've had two of them. But let me just ask you a question. 
how does God deal with you and me as a heavenly father? Doesn't he trust us to make the right decisions? And when we inevitably don't, he deals with us as sons, even disciplines us. But then he picks us back up, points us in the right direction, says get back after it after a certain amount of time or whatever. That's how he deals with me. And guess what? It makes me want to do it for the right reason. Not because I have a God looking over my shoulder all the time, just waiting to crush me. No, that's, that's, not, that's not the God we serve. So admonition is such a key part of parenting because it's your way of molding and shaping your children to become who God desires them to be. So let me describe admonish, admonition as this way. So you have nurture as corrective training. Admonition is formative training. There, so there's the two types. There's formative training and there's corrective training. And you have to do both. <clears throat> but hopefully, certainly as your children age, you're doing more forming than correcting. Because that's true leadership. And you're leading your children what the Bible has to say about them and their actions, both positive and negative. I mean, they're taking the Bible out of the school, but it's still in your home, right? You haven't taken it out of your home, have you? It's never the job of the state to pass values to our children anyway. That's our job. In fact, you do not want the state doing that. Because the states, are part, they're part of culture and they will corrupt. So we actually need to offset some of what the state teaches them. So parents are responsible for their children. And that's what we are to be about. It's the greatest job in the universe. So we should take it seriously and do it biblically. And it cannot be done seriously or biblically if it's not a priority. And it's not focused. Know your role. Focus on your role. And then do your role. No matter what anyone else is doing, it will set your family and your home up for success. So understand the priority of filling, understand the priority of focus, and then third, again, this is, this is very, very simple. You need to understand and apply the priority of faith. And what I mean by that is you need to see the spiritual reality of the family. You need to see that, that God is a part. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that God is a part and needs to be a part of what's going on in your home. You certainly can't separate God from the family. And there's certainly a picture there that even of the Trinity and the three parts of the family and, and the Trinity of God. In this passage alone, a member of the Trinity, a name of God, is mentioned 15 times in 21 verses. So if you're trying to operate and run a family outside the context of a relationship with and leadership of God, then you're just doing it wrong, I mean, according to the way that God set it up. So this priority has to do with lordship. So we have first priority has to do with the word of God. Second priority has to do with humility. Third priority has to do with lordship. And, and too many times, and I don't think we do it on, on purpose most of the time, but in practical application, our faith is only lived out in church or ministry activities. But, but let me say it again for those who weren't listening earlier. The best place to live out your faith is in your home. And listen, the most beautiful spiritual pictures are found in the family. I mean, you know, Paul's talking about and giving this discourse on marriage and husband and wife and, and the different roles. And then he, then he begins transitioning. And then, you know... He starts talking about the, he starts throwing the church in there and he throws, drops this bomb in Ephesians 5.32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so the entire time he was talking about a husband and wife, he's really talking about Christ and the church. 
But let me ask you, do you view your home that way? Do you view your marriage and your role that way as a picture of Christ and the church? Because Christ has given the church a mission to do together with him. We have a co-mission to do and to fulfill it with him. So does that mean, if, if you, do you understand that? And do, do you view your home as that picture? And so is your home mission-minded from the husband leading and father leading and as a picture of Christ and, and the wife man, helping and you know, working with as a, as a picture of the church? Do you think about that? Do you actively think about that? And talk and pray about ministry and evangelism and discipleship as a family. This is where the principles from Deuteronomy 6 applies to us in the church from a practical standpoint. God told Israel in verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And the words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And we should take that to heart in a practical sense. We need to be diligent about prioritizing our faith in our home. It needs to be central. And our kids need to know that it is of central importance in our lives as parents. And the model is laid out there in Deuteronomy 6-7. We're to show the priority of our faith in our talk and in our walk. It's to be done night and it's to be done day. Does that describe your home? Man, I hope so because look at the promises that come along with it. And you can see them through, you can see them here, but I want you to show you in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 and 23. My son, it's a good cross-reference to Deuteronomy 6. My son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So, so, man, men, don't you want that for your family? Then lead to that end. Through God's word, the only lamp and light that can navigate us through this life and through how to run a family. It's an impossible task without doing it God's way. In Proverbs 22, 6, a, a verse we quote often, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. And there's, you know, some controversy about what that verse exactly means and I'll be honest I don't I don't know fully really what that means but I do I just take it at its face value and I'll believe it in faith till I die because God said it and that's enough for me but whatever it means I do know that it all hinges on the first seven words of that verse train up a child in the way that's the way that's God's way that's what the biblical worldview is against culture of our day it's taking a faith-based approach to life and the authority of God's word and applying that not only in your life but in your home. And that's how you can bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I, and I put this on your outline sheet. It's applying the Great Commission in our home and with our kids. Being evangelistic and discipling them in the ways of God through the word of God. Parents, please listen to me. You are teaching and training and discipling your kids every day, whether you know it or not. So do it in the right things. Don't compromise on this front. I know how strong the world is pulling. I know the temptations. I've been there. I promise you I understand. But you only get 18 years. 
you only get 216 months. You only get 936 weeks. You only get 6,574 days. And they're ticking off one by one. Don't waste them. Prioritize faith in your home and in your family. Because if you do not do that in your home, what makes you think your children will do that in theirs? By the grace of God, maybe they will. But the likelihood is they won't. The likelihood is they will follow your discipleship example. And I know some of you are thinking, man, Troy, this is good, but, I, you know, I, I needed to hear this 20 years ago. I needed to hear this 40 years ago. Or I didn't get saved until after my kids were gone, you know. Well, what can I do now? Well, listen, you can get on your knees and pray. That's what you can do. You can pray. You can always do that. You can ask for God's grace to intervene in your family situation, whatever it may be, good or bad. You can pray. And you're never out of hope. You're never out of hope as long as you or they are on this earth. So pray without ceasing. And set your priorities now so that others can see. It's what we all need no matter where we are in the various stages of a family. So have a priority of filling. Have a relationship with God through his word, let it, letting it dwell in you richly so that you walk in the spirit. Then have a priority and focus and focus on yourself and your role, thinking more highly of the others in your house than you do yourself in humility. Then have a priority of faith and make your home a place of faith and lordship where your faith is talked about and celebrated and included with your kids and prioritized with your time and your talents and your treasure. That's a family that can successfully fight the war that, that Satan is so strongly waging in today's culture. So let's be sure and stand against him on this front because our families are worth it. Let's have every head bow and every eye closed. And again, as you're just, you know, settling your hearts and, you know, I just, I just pray now that you'd ask the Lord to speak to you. And if, if he's spoken to you in any way this morning, that you would respond to whatever he's asking of you to do. And uh, you'd be obedient to that and, and that you would make your pew an altar, make this stage an altar, whatever you need uh, to take time with the Lord. Uh, to spend with him in, 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 the way that he, in the way that he deserves. And if, and if there's never been a time in your life where, where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're trying to do this whole life and your family and all of it on your own and, and you don't even know the principles of the Bible and you don't have, you know, you're not, you're attacking it through, through your wisdom and the world's wisdom, then, then I'd say you need to get saved today. If, there's, if you've never placed your faith, the finished work of Jesus Christ, man, and you have questions about that, just come up front during this song after the service. We'd love to talk to you and show you out of the Bible uh, how, how it is you can be saved and how you can place your faith in Jesus Christ even today to help you navigate the life um, that you have. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we love you. We're so thankful um, for you and the instruction that you give us at every level of life. And, and these are these are topics that aren't fun to talk about, and, and um, even with this whole series, Lord, I know that, um, that Satan is actively attacking families and individuals and, and all of it, and, and so, Lord, I just pray that, um, I pray that you'd stop him. I pray that you'd be glorified in all the individual situations, the ones that I know about, the ones I don't know about, and, and that, Lord, that you'd get glory, that you'd use us as a church to, 
um, to, to strengthen the families that we have here and that you'd be glorified again through it. And if there's anyone that doesn't know you today, that they've never placed their faith in you, I pray that your Holy Spirit convicts them to take that free will step um, to accept you as their Savior today. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.